Hi, this is Damon Pistolka, host of the Faces of Business, where I talk with interesting people sharing life and business experiences to entertain, engage, build community, and provide information to help others succeed. If you're interested in learning more about one of our guests or how we are helping business owners generate wealth and build businesses they can sell or succeed at Exit Your Way, you can find more information on our website, ExitYourWay.com, or by contacting me directly, Damon at ExitYourWay.com. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, everyone. Welcome once again to the Faces of Business. I'm your host, Damon Pistolka. With me today, I've got Alan Shafee from Turning Point Strategic Advisors. I want to say consulting because that's what I saw on one of your website pages, but Turning Point Strategic Advisors out of Seattle, Washington. Alan, great to have you here today. Thank you. Glad to be here. I appreciate it, Damon. Yeah, it's going to be fun. We're going to be talking today about the repercussions of COVID relief. We're going to talk about uh, your practice a bit more and how you're helping people. We might even talk about that University of Oregon Ducks, see what the, how they're doing, you know. That's right. Friendly, a strong team. I mean, you can't say anything about bad about right. that. Friendly, a strong team. But uh, and uh, and and what it's like living as a duck out of water in Seattle, kind of. Uh, yeah. It's a little rivalry there. So. Alan, let's start off by having you tell us a little bit about your background and, and kind of how how you really decided to get into Turning Point and doing what you're doing today. Great. Thank you. I uh, So my background is University of Oregon, Go Ducks. We talked about that. Uh, public accounting, uh, Coopers and Libran back in the day, uh, doing auditing. Uh, did that for a couple of years. I uh, went out into private industry and, you know, it wasn't intentional, but the first four jobs I had were all heavy restructuring jobs. Every company was on the verge of bankruptcy and and uh, and I should have done a better job vetting my job opportunities. But what I learned is the craft. And I learned to love the hard work it takes. You know, being a an operator in a company in distress is so different than a company that's you know, running smoothly or, or at least running profitably. Um, and so in 2001, after 10 years of being in private industry, I bought a CPA firm in Bellevue, Washington, with the idea that we would do restructure, turnaround work from the office of the CFO, similar to what some of the work that the big four were doing back before they got busted up, 2004, 2005. So <clears throat> in 2009, we spun that group of consultants out to create Turning Point. And uh, today we're 36 consultants, um, primarily in the Northwest, although we do have clients around the world and around the US, but all of them have a Northwest connection. Yeah, yeah. So you are so true they can't I just can't emphasize it enough it is so much different in, when you're working in a distressed company compared to a company that's just operating normally making profits so what are some of the critical things you think you learned right off the bat being I mean you were in the you know, feet to the fire right away I'm going to tell you a little bit of the journey because <clears throat> what made me successful early on is the ability to make decisive painful decisions yeah. So we, we decide, okay, we need to cut you know, 32 staff and I would cut 50 or, you know, whatever it would take. Go, go, go deep, go hard, get it done once. Um, people would say to me, oh my gosh, what about the culture? And what about this customer? And, and I'd say, I don't, you know what, culture doesn't matter when I can't make payroll, get, get out of the way. Right. And, and today, one of the things I try to do before we pull off the, the knife and we still go deep and we go hard on the expense reductions before we look to revenue increases or margin moves 
is uh, finding a set of common shared values um, amongst employees and creating a sense of culture. Because after the, after the staff reduction, everybody's pretty wounded and hurt. And they yep. remember these people have been fighting for some period of time. It isn't a shock yeah. to them. They're, not, they're already beat up. We come in and do that. We have a set of common values that we can rebuild on. Yeah. Wow. That, that if, if people listening now, if you've never been in a distress situation, what you just said is gold. And what I, I, I went through a half a dozen or more of these, but the, uh, the ability to cut beyond where you need to be today. I posted about this several months ago because what happens if you don't is you'll cut once and then you go, oh, that wasn't enough. You go back and cut again and you go back and cut again. But if you don't cut enough in the first time, everybody's wondering if I'm next. That's right. You and lose credibility. You, yeah. Right? And yeah. when you're we're digging out of a deep hole and you're asking people to do more than they've ever done before and to do it differently because what they were doing wasn't working, you have to have trust. Right. And part mm -hmm. of that trust comes from common values. The other part of that trust is being accountable for what you said you're going to do. So when you stand up and say, this is it, guys, and here's what we're going to do, and here's the vision yeah. forward, if you have to say, whoops, sorry about that, I was wrong, and whoops, sorry about that, I was wrong, you're you're going to have your very best, if they're still there, leave, because they can't mm -hmm. trust you. And two, people are going to begin to really talk negatively about management behind their back, which takes the energy and the soul out of the organization. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's great and great point. So cut deeper than you think you may need at the time, but, but so you don't have to do it again until you're, you're ready to go on the other side of it. So what were some of the other things you learned working in those distressed companies that, that were really valuable today, even in, even in, in good running companies? Well, the one is it always costs more and takes longer than you think, no matter what. I, I, I don't have a single example where that isn't true. As entrepreneurial minded people, we're optimistic, right? And so we think, we can we can grow this faster. We can you know negotiate these better contracts. Uh, we can change. We can find new customers. We can change our pivot. Whatever we're doing, but it takes longer and costs more than you originally think. So that's one. So whatever budget and plan you have, know that it's going to take longer and cost more, and build that alternative budget. You may march to your original one. You may hold accountability meetings to the original one. Yeah. Uh, but um, the second one is is I look in organizations for what I call the terrorists. Right. And I take them out and often they are high individual contributors who mean a lot to the organization, but they stand behind the curtain and they back talk. They they, uh, you know, pull energy away from the mission. They uh, sabotage the mission and, uh, you know, either mm -hmm. intentionally or unintentionally. So I also look for I don't always just keep the the people um, who are the very best at what they do. I also make sure that, they, again, they're coming back to that culture piece. If yeah. they're if they're high individual contributors, but they're lone wolves and they don't fall in line, we take them out at the first round too. So I, I'm now more patient and waiting to make my moves to make sure I understand who the people are, what skill set they have, what they bring, do they fit the culture, and then and then make the moves. Wow, that, early that... in my years. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say early in my years of doing restructuring. I was fast. Right? I had a lot to prove. We're going to come in and in three days, yeah. you know, we're, we're, we're lining people up and, and getting, you know, taking care of severance or whatever we need to do to get them out the door, get them off the payroll. And now I wait because, uh, you know, it's more than just cutting costs. It's trying to preserve the soul of the business so you can grow forward. That is, that is another, 
mic drop gold nugget moment right there because you're right it's it's yes you need to move quickly but you have to preserve the soul of the business as well and i really like what you said about taking out terrorists because there are some i mean they they can be good performers to the business they could be talented in their own way but like you said if they're a lone wolf and they're talking uh, uh downplaying the management's ability to to do what you're trying to do or anything like that they have to go because you have no chance if you don't have everyone working together that's correct yeah. or much less chance i should say right um wow those are great those are great Whew, bring back some memories there <laughs> so so as you got into this you learned all this stuff and now now you're in in companies helping them do it um how do you think that the needs of companies have changed over time? Because you've been doing this more than a few weeks and, and, you know, it's kind of changed at how, you know, the whole financing piece of business. And then when you talk about restructuring turnarounds, all that. So, so how is it the needs of these business businesses really changed the ownership groups and things like that? That's a good question. Uh, let me think about that. I, I'd say that one is that we find disruption happening a lot more. So we've gone to companies that were operating well and um, and the internet came along or Amazon came along or you know the iPhone came along and disrupted print media, right? So, or cor corrugated came along and stole production to print paper. So what I'm finding today, what I see the most is there's a lot more, dis it's happening rap more rapid that there's disruption businesses and, and there's, a, there's a tendency to fight the fight you've been fighting. Yeah. Right. So dig it, dig down, dig in, cut costs to hang in there, find more customers, whatever you try to do without really acknowledging the underlying reason why your why your industry isn't changing. Right. So one of the things we we look at is we say, okay, is this company having issues or is the industry having issues? Right. If the yeah. industry as a whole, and I have this number of examples of clients where the industry as a whole has been disrupted, and everybody's still fighting the fight the way they fought it ten years ago. Um, and we got to, you know, at that point, you got to stand back and say, what, what are we going to do differently? Where, what, what technology changes, service changes, what's happening? Because if we fight this fight every year, it's going to be N minus $1 in revenue or an N minus, you know, the next year it's going to be N minus $1 in revenue. So that's, that's one. Uh, I think, I think that, um, the standardization of loan, uh, uh, commercial lenders, which happened with the Frank Dodd Act changes mm -hmm. things a lot, right? Um, you really can't get much different terms from bank A to bank, commercial bank A, commercial bank B, um, which has built up a, a wide variety of other alternative lenders who aren't regulated. So I think that that's a good thing, right? One, you, whether you're dealing with your local bank here or local bank there, their their interest rates are going to be plus or minus, you know, 50 mm -hmm. basis points. Their covenants are going to be plus or minus, you know, three to 3.5 times, you know, equity leverage or debt service coverage is all going to be very similar. Yeah. Um, but by forcing everybody into a box, they create this whole world of alternative lenders. So I think one of the things that's gotten easier is when we come into a business and they've got lender fatigue and the lender wants them out. I've got way more ch choices over here to find a lender that's alternative, non-regulated, who will lean heavy into inventory without any AR, like a direct to consumer business, right? They don't have AR, mm -hmm. they pay it on credit card. Yeah. They generally have yeah. a lot of inventory, right? Well, a commercial lender doesn't like a lot of inventory. They're going to give them 20 cents on the dollar um, with, a, with a pretty low cap. So finding, yeah. so I, I think that's something that's interesting and we've been able to use a lot when we're helping um, companies refinance an aggressive lender out and give them, you know, 12 months to operate 
um, outside of a traditional covenant to put their business back on the right track. Now, this is something that someone asked me the other day, uh, and it just, it just came up as you're thinking of this. So how many times do you see companies that you're helping to restructure and, and not because of the work you're doing, but because of the work of the company or the industry or other, be able to come out of those alternative forms of financing back into traditional financing once they've, they've gone there? A lot. Okay. We do it all the time. Yep. Okay. Um, and, and one of the things we do is we start early on. If we have a path forward, we have a, we have a forecast and a path um, and, we're, and we're having some success, right? Uh, yeah. We start to shop it early on. Okay. And what we're getting is the credit uh, back in back, back credit guys to understand the credit. They start thinking about it. Banks are hungry, right? There's more money to lend than there are people willing to, you know, who are yeah. available to borrow. Banks are really hungry for deals. And so we've built, because of our reputation in the marketplace in the Northwest, and they say, oh, Turning Point's bringing us a client. They start to say, okay, when is it going to be ready? Right. And so we say, okay, we're 18 months out and we begin to shop it. We get them ready. We even do introductions to a leadership team. Um, uh, so that's, you know, th so we get them out all the time. Nice. Now, you know, if I, if I can't get them financed, right. So the, the bank's fatigued, they're, they're going to be more aggressive with court action. If we don't find an alternative lender, we can't, we can't get an alternative lender because it's, it's, it's too far gone. Then we're looking at, you know, possibly either uh, equity sale at a, at a big discount or a liquidation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Cause I know I, I knew, like you said, with a good plan, if you're executing on it, you can do it. It's just a matter of, I think a lot of people hear of people that go into an alternative financing situation may not have a good plan, may not have a, uh, you know, and good plan, good execution. And you know what that does. So I, I, I hear, you know, our, we've had clients go, you know, 13 or 18% interest. We can't pay that. That's crazy. I was paying six and, you know, six and a half percent yeah. before client prime plus three or whatever it was. And I'd say, look, your only other option is equity and your business today is worth very little. And if we're successful, you're going to be worth a lot more compared that change in valuation compared to the mm -hmm. cost of, of, of a high interest rate. And they often, um, every time they go, okay, I understand, but how fast, how long can we can get out of there? I'm like, okay, well, it depends on execution. From there, yeah. we, have, we have a plan. We've got an alternative lender. We break it down into daily measurements of inputs and outputs that make sure we're on track. I don't want to wait to the end of the month. Yeah. You know, three weeks after the month, we get financial statements and say, um, no good. No, yeah. We want, we want to know Doesn't today work. how we did yesterday or how we did this morning. Mm hmm. Yeah. That, that, I tell you that, that, ex, that, that measurement, you know, like you're saying on a daily basis, weekly basis at the worst is, is really, it's critical. Otherwise you'll get, like you said, you get to the end of the month. No, we didn't make it. You, you have no time to adjust. Just waste too much. It's gone. It's interesting that you say that. Cause I think that's another, that's another key point between a business that's running normally and in a business that's distressed is that daily measurement of those of knowing where you're at, um, you know, almost if you can to like to a gross margin line of the business even is, is really, it's key to staying on track. So as, as you, <laughs> this is great. Cause you got, man, experience here is, is so incredible. So um, do you think that the, do you think that this region, the PNW really has any special needs different from other areas of the country much, or it's, 
the blend of industries are are pretty similar. I was thinking about um, that every year. Yeah, another good question. I don't know if I can answer that. I think that yeah. we've got a unique business here. Um, we've got a unique business environment. We've got a lot yeah. of Microsoft-centric consultants. And Microsoft's yeah, big on the consultants, as you know. It, it does cost them more, but it gives them unique flexibility. I've watched some lights out whole towers. Then one day, we're done, right? And they just, everybody next day, you go in, uh, every window's dark, everybody's gone, right? You wow. can't do that when they're employees, right? Yeah, uh, that's true. Latest issues. So, uh, Microsoft, uh, Amazon, of course, doesn't doesn't really rely on consultants in much. Um, they're not that's not their philosophy, but they mm -hmm. they do use a lot of local resources in their film business and their shipping, right? Um, yeah, we've got Boeing, right? We've got heavy Boeing, both in the South End um, and up in mm -hmm. Everett, and and a, a large uh, contingent of Boeing suppliers, which most of them aren't doing very well because Boeing you know eats its suppliers alive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, eats they, them and they, spits yeah. them out. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know, I was in that industry. I've worked with lots of clients. There are some that figure it out and do well, but a lot of them, you know, negotiate heavily with Boeing going up the curve. They don't make a lot of money. They just get up and then it going negotiates heavy down the curve again. Um, and then they just announced today, right, that the seven three seven, you know, uh, ten or they changed the name from the Max to ten, right, is now going to be delayed further. Um, I've got two. Hundred plus million dollar clients that desperately need that skyline to come back up, and so yeah. it's. And Boeing's been telling them, Boeing procurement's been telling them that's going to happen. And just announced today, it's not going to happen yet. Ooh. Yeah. So that's that's yeah. trouble with Boeing. There are some uniques. I mean, in, in certain respects, this is almost like the the Michigan area and the automotive industry for us. Right. It's air, airlines up here. So, yeah. Or the air aircraft. Um, awesome. So. Now, when we were talking about this before, you brought us some interesting, interesting uh, topics about the COVID relief programs. You know, we have a bunch of the COVID relief programs, and that's kind of it's one of the topics we wanted to cover today is the repercussions of some of these. But let's talk first about of all about where you saw the COVID relief programs helping the businesses and 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 them using it successfully. I, I think I've never seen commercial lenders work so hard seven yeah. days a week, 10 hours a day doing PPP one. Yeah. Right. They didn't know what they're doing. Very few of them had a sophisticated back end to manage it. They're doing it all manually. Um, they didn't, it was no, no one ever done anything like that before. And, and I, I work a lot with commercial lenders and to T that they were exhausted. Um, and not many of them got it right. As you know, many, mm -hmm. uh, I won't use names of several of the local, you know, Seattle based uh, lenders, didn't get it right and the ones that did really benefited right because uh, in fact you know we we were collecting ones that were working and ones that you know behind the scenes like we're not going to get there and and so you know there was a lot of movement uh, yes uh, commercial accounts at the end of that because they were so exhausted but that certainly was a a lifeline to a lot of clients and there were some clients who took a lot of ppp and didn't need it but for most of our clients it was um it, you know in the first round we were in they were in terror and no one knew it was going to happen Right. Yeah. Um, second round was much more relaxed. People built the back end. You could do it online. It was pretty easy. Um, yeah. And then after that, there was the small EIDL. You know, I think it was fifty thousand dollars. Then two hundred fifty thousand. Eventually up to two million. Um, that's a that's a good program. It's a three point seven five percent interest, twenty year amortization. The first two years interest um, accrued. Um, so that's a good that's a good program, and I think uh, we helped a, quite a bit of uh, our client base go out and take advantage of that. And the amount um, 
wasn't really based on much, right? It was just like what you asked for, you got. It's a it's a Fed program. They have no ability to to manage it, and they want don't want to manage it, right? Or uh, SBA mm -hmm. program for that one, sorry. And then the one you and I talked about before was the Main Street, and I think that's going to be a problem. Okay. The Main so, Street was like three or four times 2019 EBITDA. Um, it's got a balloon at the, at the end of the third year. It's got 15% principal payments starting in year three. So end of the fourth year, fifth year is the balloon, sorry, and 15% principal payments. So if you max that out, say you take a $2.5 million Main Street loan, um, in 2023, depending on the date you took the loans, but sometime in 2023, because the program ended in 2021, you're going to have a $470,000, $475,000 balloon payment, principal payment due. I think that that's going to be tough. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Fed has come out and said they have no interest in doing anything about it. it you have to pay it. So uh, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but we're talking to a number of lenders who, who took some, most banks said we're not doing that. They could see what was going to happen and they're going to have to mm -hmm. go to try to collect. So a lot of banks did not enter into um, um, underwriting main street loans, but some of them did. And, and I think there's going to be a significant issue in 2023 around main street. Yeah. So the main street loans, I mean, I, I'm not familiar with that program. So what, who would typically be looking at that or would have looked at that and, Anybody was available for it. You didn't have to really show need. Um, uh -huh. it, it's it's a um, it's a it's a like I said a five year balloon with fifteen. So interest accrued for the first yeah. year, interest only for the second year, and the third year interest payments monthly. And you could choose to make a principal payment each month, or you can choose to make a fifteen percent payment on the on the anniversary and the 15% the next year, and then a balloon after that, right? Okay. Of the balance. And so um, I, I think that it's um, the list of, of we, we pulled the list. I'm sorry, somebody's calling me. Uh, we pulled the list of borrowers. Um, it's quite a few of them in the billions of dollars. Wow. Shoo. Yeah, that's gonna. That's the one that's that you said is going to be a yeah, kind of a because. You. I don't know if it happened when the phone, my system rang. Are you back? You back here? You back yeah, here now? Back. Okay, yes. good. Yeah, so that that's going to be a that's going to be a stinger for some businesses, especially if uh, you know, three to four x EBITDA. Yeah, I mean, if if you're planning right, you might be able to. You can you can bring that around to be able to do it, but you got to be planning for it. That's for sure. We we and we did contract underwriting for a local lender on the main street. There was a client there that did 30 26 million dollars in main street loans. Oh wow. So I you know at the time I'm thinking how how are they going to do that? Right? It's a it's a disaster. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's hard to comprehend with some of it. So so um as we're looking at this, but it, overall, like the PPP programs, the EIDL, those those programs, pretty solid. You, you're feeling like I, I thought they were good programs and desperately needed. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, desperately needed. And again, there there are a few people out there who took some pretty significant PPP loans so that their business was actually thriving. But for the in, in our space, the clients that we know, um, and we helped put through, I think forty two or forty three PPP loans. Um, they 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 were in, uh, very much needed when they took the loans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know a few 
few that that we worked with that you know it was a couple were on oil and gas and things like that if they wouldn't have got them it would have been a heck of a mess and and not and not you know these are eight nine figure companies that it, it definitely helped them out an awful lot to get through that time you think about what the the federal government did in 2009 and 10 they pivoted to support the banks who had failing loans yeah and what happened then is the banks just failed those companies we we, we did 37 receiverships hundreds of thousands across the country probably i don't know the number but they moved to pivot to, to support the banks and the banks did not pivot to support uh, yeah. the, the loans. Right. And so um, this time the federal government said, okay, we're not going to do that. We're going to go right to the business owners, pump money into them. Um, in either case, there was certainly a percentage of that that probably was not used correctly, but overall, I think the uh, result was good. Yeah. And you make a great point. The result to the actual business owners and, and the people, the borrowers was probably much, much better through these COVID right. relief programs. Yes, for it, sure. it, get, it got to the places that it really was being used to to put. I mean, because a lot of these places, obviously, the PPP loan was helping people keep paychecks coming and and yeah. and uh, keep the business afloat, which is really good. We had, we had clients that had laid everybody off. We're done. And then the PPP came through and they brought everybody back. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that that's that's a great benefit. Yeah, it was. So as you as you see the. The other things happened in the industry. I know we talked about uh, the repercussions of some of these COVID programs, the Main Street Loan Program. Yeah, if someone out there has got it, they need to understand what they're what they're they're going to be in for next year, and and really make sure your financial people are planning appropriately and 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 you're ready for that. Um, but as we're coming out of this now, and, and we've talked about this a couple times. What are you seeing just from the, the effects of COVID on the companies in general, the economy, certain areas of the company? Because you, you're in a unique position at Turning Point there because you're working with companies that are distressed, that are struggling a lot of times. And I think that where we see it first kind of is an indicator of what the what's happening in the economy. And I might be wrong, but I just thought that might be an interesting thing to talk about. Let me see if this is the right answer because I understand. I think I understand your question. Here's the, what we're seeing at our client base right now. And I think we talked a little bit about this before. They've got too much inventory, right? The The banks are slowly being to ratchet back covenants. We just had a client that renewed their line of credit for a million dollars, not even a very big one. And the bank went from 3.5 debt to equity leverage ratio to 2.5. Now they qualify but the bank's ratcheting it back because it, it's an early warning sim signal for them, right? If this client pushes that, it means they're losing money. Equity's going down, right? Retainment going down. It signals them quicker that, hey, we need to be looking at this. So uh, you've got banks ratcheting back um, their credit. You've got companies who've got too much inventory and more on the water. Um, yeah. And for the most part, if I ordered what I ordered last year is not exact fit for what I need this year. So the result of that's going to be, I'm going to have inventory I can't really sell, um, potentially, potentially, right? Um, it, uh, we heard, uh, I just was sharing with you that we heard Costco's CFO on the um, analyst call just last week saying, well, we've got 24% too much inventory in most of its Christmas trees, right? We ordered way too much last year. They've been sitting there all year. Um, I find that in our client base that are manufacturing distribution, 100% of them have the same problem. In the... COVID bump, 
They all didn't have enough product. They ordered everything to get their hands on. It got delayed or down in demand. It all showed up. They're struggling to pay for it. And it's it's not the right product for the season. Target. Yeah. I mean, you've got some of the best logistic companies in the world, Amazon, Target, Walmart, Costco, who, who got this wrong. Yes. Right. And look at that, you know, hundred million or $50 million e-commerce or manufacturing distribution who don't have that level of sophistication. And they've all got, they all got the same problem. Exactly. It's got to be a lot tougher for them. Just, just wow. Because yeah, you don't have the, the tens or hundreds of millions of dollars of, of exceptional System. people. Yeah, right. systems to do this right so right. I'm, I'm sitting here with a you know like you said a 20 or 50 million dollar company trying to do that and and uh it is interesting because i think that this is going to bleed over i mean this is not going to go away in the, in the next couple of months that's for sure with what's happening no. do you think no it's not going to go away i mean they're sitting on that inventory credits ratcheting back cost of credits going up Right. Or interest rates mm-hmm. are significantly up both not only in your home mortgage, but also in your business lines um, yeah. of credit or term notes. Um, I demand is still down in big parts of the industry industries. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, aerospace, we know, is still down. Consumer consumption is down. Uh, the real estate market slowing, which means that more consumer consumption is going to go down. Um, so I think that, you know, this is this potentially could be pretty significant, pretty rough coming into 2023. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are some bright spots you see? Cause I mean, it's, 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 we talk about doom and gloom cause that's easy. That's, but where do you see some bright spots where people are going, man, they, it's, it's things are going well for us now. I don't see a whole lot of bright spots. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, if I were to add to my doom and gloom, I'd say, you know, people, uh, the, the cost of hiring talent is up 25% from a year ago. Um, it could be if I was to work really hard, I might say that people are willing to switch right now. Now they're getting a premium. Um, but even in our business, we've had some fantastic talent come to us that we would have had a hard time getting before. Now they're expensive. Uh, mm-hmm. but it could be that now with the, the common perception is I can leave my job today and get a 20% bump. We got people entering the marketplace that would not you know, traditionally be leaving their jobs. So that's, that's a good that's, point. Yeah. So if you are in desperate need of people and can afford to pay them, you can probably get them. Yeah. Because, you know, businesses obviously need the very best talent to be successful. I'm a firm believer in that. Right. Yeah. uh, Yeah. If you can get the very best talent, they will pay for themselves. Yeah. That's just true. The the A players will, will more than make up for a lot of B and C players. That's right. That's for sure. Um, yeah, because I'm trying to think through. I mean, we're not around it here, but I know the oil and gas is going through a pretty good time. They've been at extended yeah. highs, and you know some things yes, happening there. But uh, but there's but you're right. There's a lot of industry that that is really struggling, and and some, you know, when you look at some of the heavy industry or heavier industries like the trucking industry and things like that, they're still the supply chain is still just kicking them so hard that they can't do what they do. I've got a couple friends that are in larger or publicly owned uh, kind of companies there. And, you know, when you can't, you can't get product to either assemble or, or deliver what you're, you're supposed to deliver and in these big facilities, um, 
well, I think we have a pretty good, pretty good graveyard or partially clean or not graveyard, but waiting area of partially completed trucks here south of uh, Seattle or yeah. south of, southeast of Seattle. Yeah, I think large tech is still going strong. Yeah. Small tech is getting crushed by valuations. But mm -hmm. you know, the, the clients that I have or the people that I know who are supporting Microsoft and Amazon and Google and Facebook all in Seattle here are still going red hot. Um, okay. But that's so that's a if you're looking for something an industry that's doing well, that's still going pretty well. You know, both recruiting for those and uh, development, you know, software development, those guys are okay. doing well. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's interesting to go because you go, you obviously get to see across the board and 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 understand it uh, uh, a lot more. But well, hopefully that the the people that at least the people you're working with and some of the other people that have, are, are running into some of these challenges that are, are successful in doing it. Cause I mean, we could, yeah, it could be pretty ugly for a long time if we don't get, get a few of these things ironed out in the, in the next couple quarters. So what do you think? What do you, what are you guys thinking for the, you know, the Q1 2023 kind of thing? Are we, are we going to be kind of more of the same or? I think, our restructure business is going to be very busy. Yeah. I think yeah. that um, we're just now beginning to see that it pick up uh, mm -hmm. and there's no solution short term. They're going to rate feds going to raise rates again. Right. Um, so that, so interest rates are still going up. Fuel prices are coming down a little bit, but not fast enough. Yeah. Employees are still expensive. Um, supply chain is better. Um, but most people got too much of what they have and they can't afford to buy what they need. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's, we're going to be for a while into, you know, still, um, more of the, uh, more businesses in distress than we have been, you know, prior to the COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I would agree. So now you guys do one thing I think is pretty unique though. You, you actually help to develop CFOs. Explain a little yes. bit about that. Cause you don't, I mean, not many people say, well, we, we develop CFOs for middle of market companies. It's actually my true passion. The reason I'm in this business. Yeah. So when I, when you go to school and you get your accounting degree and you go sit the CPA exam and you go to work for one of the big houses, they don't teach you how to be the CFO in the middle market at all. Right. They teach you for lack of a better word, big company gap. Right. We're, yeah. we're, and we're, we're doing stuff. We're checking source documents and validating their recording transactions according to the gap, or, or you know, and and uh, and so when I left, I thought I was, you know, I'm like, hey, I had a couple of years at Cooper's, I have a accounting degree, I got my CPA, I went to private industry, and I got my job at a twenty-five million dollar candy company as the uh, controller. Yeah. I didn't know anything. Everything I learned in school was out the window. Yeah, I didn't know how to use the system. I didn't understand inventory terms. I didn't understand, you know, work in process accounting. I could, I could, I had memorized the journal entries, which is mm -hmm. far different than every time you sit down in the month and you got to figure out what revenue is. It's not what you invoice it's what you earned. Right. And so all the stuff that um, we do in the middle market, I didn't learn in all those years I went to school and worked in the accounting field. And, and then I went from controller to CFO and my boss at the time, is still a very good friend of mine, would say, I, you know, I'd do this big write-up. He'd say, I, I don't know what to do with this. And so I would work harder to give him more numbers. And he'd say, oh, my God, what are you doing? I don't know what to do with this. And, and then he got, he left, and I became president, really young, 
you know, 300 employees, primary airspace, should not have had that job. And my controller, who I had trained, brought me the same book. And I said, I don't know what to do with this. Oh, my God. What am I going to do with all these numbers? They make no sense to me, right? I can't mm -hmm. connect what, what's happening in, in these spreadsheets to what I'm seeing on the plant floor, what my customers are telling us. So I quickly learned how to be COO. So my, my position is that in the middle market, your CFO has to be a COO. Now they got to understand, they got to get time, financial statements out timely. Yeah. They got to be according to the gap. They got to be detailed. You got to have a variance. You got to have budgets. You got to know, but that's where we start. We got to yeah. move from the tower. We often call it the accountant sitting in the tower on the carpet out yeah. into the factory floor for lack of a better analogy yeah. and go to work, right? How do we bring yeah. inventory turns? How do we increase them up? How do we increase inventory turns? How do we get better, better labor utilization? How do we, um, you know, how do we negotiate smarter with our vendors for just in time delivery? Um, and, you know, so those things that we that I spent, you know, eight or nine years in private industry learning how to do across three different companies. And I, and I sat back and I'm like, okay, the CFO in the middle market, it, 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 it doesn't really exist. They're either controllers or they're COO. So how do we blend that to what I call shaping the future? Like, how do we get from the office of the CFO who understands operations to sit with the executive team and help shape the future? Because he's the only, he or she are the only person on that team who has the financial models to dial. Like, okay, this means yeah. this, and this means this, and here's our range, range of outcomes if we do the following things. Mm -hmm. um, now, whatever we forecast is wrong by definition. We can't get it right, mm -hmm. but I can get close. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm passionate about that. The only reason I started this business was to, to train people to be CFOs in the middle market as a way to maybe defend the choices I've made in life. But I want, I want other people to know. And so we have it, our, our team talks about it every week. What are we doing to develop our you know, staff accountants to controllers, to CFOs, to COOs? And that magic happens when we just have one of our partners who's been a great CFO for us for about five years come to me and say, okay, I just got involved in the sales team. And I, you know, I got them to do these following things and I changed this and I did that. And I'm like, okay, you got it. That's exactly what a great CFO does. He didn't care that sales doesn't report to him. He cares that they're not getting the job done that they need to be successful. And he moves in there and he figures it out. Yeah. That's awesome because you're, you are teaching people critical skills, financial people's critical skills, because I used to be the CEO, COO when yeah. you had to do what you're teaching CFOs to do uh, right. from haphazardly because i don't have the financial background i can see what the real world is or what's happening in the factory floor and connect that back to the numbers but the cfo has has this different unique when they see that they can translate that into financial results so much easier than a coo right. can right and that is what's critical in in companies especially you know if you're investor owned or you're god forbid publicly <laughs> traded or something like that you know you deliver and die by the numbers and and that cfo can can be a tremendous help in that this is really cool it's great great to understand yeah, and uh so do you do you then help other companies develop their controllers into those people as well yes, yes. oh that's awesome often when we get hired they say okay we don't want you here forever yeah when do we have the right person yes or no could be either yeah. If we don't have the right person, can you help us get it, get that person? Yes. And then once we have them, can you help them along their journey to be a CFO in the middle market? Yeah. And I'm like, yes, we do that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Because you are, that is really a, a, 
when you can connect the numbers to the the what's happening in the business it's like i don't even know i'm sure it's been in a movie where you're just sitting there and all of a sudden the lights turn on the matrix the matrix yeah yeah the matrix exactly there you go that's it the matrix you know what he when he sees the matrix it's it's yeah. just like the the world becomes so much clearer because you can then you can begin to see if we do this it does that and it, yes. and, it and you can start to really are not only visualize but then execute those things that can make a tremendous difference in the business yep yeah yeah. Ah, cool stuff, man. I, I didn't, I didn't even realize we were going to get to talk about that. So that, that's cool. Um, well, it's, it's been awesome getting to talk to you, Alan, and I'm so glad we were able to talk about some of these COVID programs. And again, people, if you got that main street loan, go study the terms on that thing, because next right. year you could be in for, and, and beyond, you could be in for smugly surprises. If you are having trouble and don't know, uh, where to turn, it, it may be worth giving the, the people here at Turning Point a, a shout. Um, their website is turning-point.com. Is that right? Yeah. And uh, Alan, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you if they need to? Um, well, you can always reach out to me on LinkedIn. I can give you my sure. email. It's it's pretty simple. Alan C, as in cat, Alan C at turning-point.com. There we go. There we go. Well, it's great having having you here today, Alan. We're talking from Turning Point Strategic Advisors, having you here talking about the repercussions of the COVID relief programs. Thanks so much, everyone that's listening. And I appreciate you being here today, Alan. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity, Damon. It was great fun. You bet. We'll be back again on Thursday with another show. Thanks, everybody, for stopping by. Have a great day.